Well, hello, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here on this uh, Independence Day as we talk about creation. And whenever we talk about creation, I don't know what images come to your mind, but power comes to our minds, doesn't it? And uh, fireworks are only fitting to celebrate this tonight. Uh, I hope you have a great celebration. We're going to be talking about creation. And again, I go back to our doctrinal statement, and it says this, we believe God created out of nothing all things in heaven and earth for his glory, and they exist for his power. You know, whenever we talk about creation, I know that there's some of you who go, oh, I hope he tells us how. What, what's that theory that he's going to give us on, on creation now? And uh, really, according to this statement that we looked at, our elders have, have basically said, look, we're most focused on who, the who of creation, the what of creation, and the why of creation. Uh, the how, there's many theories on that, and um, there's, there's even differences between professing believers, what, which ones they are. And here at Fellowship, we want to shout the shouts of Scripture and whisper the whispers of Scripture. And we believe that the, uh, the, the how of this is, is, this is not primarily a scientific exploration. This is something to show us something greater, even greater than that. So let's get into it. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start with that first verse of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. And uh, since it's an easy one to read together, I thought we could do that together. Are you with me? Hello, 11 o'clock. Welcome. Okay. So let's, let's read it together. It says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Wow, that's the best one so far. Good job. Uh, let's take a look at this because in the Hebrew, that word, the words in the beginning, God, uh, are, are that, that, uh, this is how it sounds in Hebrew. It's just two words. It's Bereshith Elohim. And it's, it's a picture of that name for God being Elohim is the creator God, the God, the powerful creator God. And uh, what this is showing us right off the bat, first verse of the Bible, is that God is the subject of everything. Do you realize that? God is the subject of everything. As we go through the scriptures in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way to through Gen Revelation, we're going to see this picture that God is the subject of everything. And so as we look at this, let's just take a look at that third word. It says, God created. That word bara, that's, an, that's a Hebrew word. And can you say it with me? Bara. Okay, to bara literally means to create out of nothing, to create out of nothing, and it's reserved for the activity of God. The, the uh, ancient Hebrews would not, they would not uh, use this for anything we could create, so it was a special word to create out of nothing. And there's two words that uh, talk about creating or making, and one is bara and the other one is asa. Can you say that with me? Good, you now know two Hebrew words, and the, the test is now over. Everyone passed with 100%. And so asa is, is, is that word that talks about to make or create out of something. You have to have raw materials that you are creative with and that you put your hands to and you form into something else. That's asa. So when you see asa in the, in the Bible, it's really a picture of what God has formed out of what he's already, already created or what we have formed with what God has created. And it's important. 
It's important because the interpretation of this passage means that God created everything. He's the subject of everything. And then, and how do we know this? Because even that construction in that Hebrew, the way this is out in the Hebrew is it's the heavens and the earth. Literally, literally, the skies and the land. Everywhere you can look. Everywhere that you can glance. Even the places you're not. God has created everything. He's created everything because he's the subject of everything. That's why Psalm 19 would just break out into praise, right? It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. What is this saying to us? This is saying that God is showing himself to all people everywhere. This is termed in theological circles as general revelation. What God has shown to everyone everywhere, he's placed his fingerprints on who he is and what he's done. In Job, in Job chapter 38, it's an interesting, I don't know if you know the story about Job, but this is a wealthy man who lost it all, including members of his family. And he asked the question, why? Why did this happen? And his friends came to him and said, you know what? Why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? You must have done something, Job. They all asked him, check your life because God's up there and he's ready to get you if you've done something wrong. But, but the, the story is not that Job did anything wrong. It's just God wanted to take him to a deeper relationship. God wanted to show who he was to Job in, in, in a greater way than all his riches and all his wealth could show him. And so God, God comes to Job and speaks to him and says this, Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? God's kind of like shown as the figurative builder here. Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of, of God shouted for joy? I mean, he's just asking that question, who, who did this? Who did this? Who did this? And the answer is, God, you did. You did. You did. God is the subject of everything. And as you trace through Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you're going to see God being the subject and, and, and the, the verbs coming from this, as you read this and you circle the verbs of all the things, that the activity of God in creation, you're going to see that God said, let there be light, right? And there was light, right? And God saw that it was good. And then God separated the, the light from the dark. The light he called day and the dark he called night. And he made, he made a separation between the, the waters and, and the land. And, and then he called, he called uh, different things. And he's naming the things that he's creating. And he set the sun during the day and the moon at night. And he created birds and fish in the oceans in the fifth day. On the sixth day, he created animals. And then, then he said, let us, let us, there's the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Spirit, let us. Create man in our own image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. God created them. This is repeated over and over. And God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth, right? And then God finished his work. And after he finished it, he said, it was very good. 
Man, humanity was the pinnacle of his creation. And he created us in his image. He gives each of us eternal value and worth and significance. Our creator God, who is the subject of everything, rested. He rested, not because he was going, oh, this is so difficult, but because he wanted to teach us a pattern, even in our week, that we should work for six days, and on the seventh day, we should rest. We should set it apart to worship God and to rest in him. And we do that through Christ. We celebrate that in Christ when we gather together. In Genesis chapter 2, it talks about God forming the earth and building and putting a garden in it and taking man that he formed out of dust and breathing into that dust the breath of life and man became a human being. And God put man in that garden. And God commanded that man. He said, you see, all these trees eat out of all these trees. But that one in the middle, don't eat out of that. For the day you eat it, eat of it, you will surely die. And then God said, it's not good that man's alone. So he caused man to sleep. And he took from that man a rib and he formed it into a woman and he gave that and brought her to the man. And he said, now this is it. This is it. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Okay, so just take with me. Look with me. These are all the verbs I just listed this week. But what doesn't change? What doesn't change amidst all that activity? What doesn't change is that God doesn't change. He's the subject of all this activity in creation. And I'm sorry if I'm making you go cross-eyed by doing that. But, but what God is showing us is, is he's the subject of everything, which even at the last it, in heaven today, as John saw a vision of that in Revelation, he saw all, all of heaven's um, angels saying this, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God is a subject of everything. And since he's the subject of everything, where do we fit? We're, we're the object of his love. Again, that special creation, we see God saying, let us make man in our own image. There's something special about humanity. And, I, and just to keep us humble, we want to all remember that we came from dust, right? Stuff we shake off our feet stuff we vacuum on the floors we all came from dust it keeps us humble but we have the breath of god in us and that gives us life and and that's where our worth comes from you aren't significant or don't have dignity or 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 value because of what i think about you 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 have value and significance because your creator created you in his image. He gives you value. Some of us come from backgrounds where we've been rejected. And so every new person we meet, we're just expecting rejection. And we need to realize, no, go back to your creator. You were created. You were created by a loving father, son, and spirit who invited you into his love. They were loving themselves before, before creation. Creation was their idea to invite you into the fellowship with our God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we even see this 
in how the story unveils. In Genesis chapter 1, if we read it in the Hebrew, we just see God's name is Elohim, which is powerful, the God of creation, omnipotent, omniscient, all, all, all. He's the subject of everything. In Genesis chapter 2, the name of God changes to Yahweh. And some skeptics of the scripture say since the writers, you know, since the writer, you know, Moses, he, he, there was another writer. And no, no, this is just God telling that story to us very personally. Because he pinpoints and he shows the pinnacle in Genesis chapter 2 of Yahweh, the personal God, the God of the covenant. Genesis chapter 1, God of creation. Genesis chapter 2, God of the covenant. Remember who got this? Moses got this. Where was he? He was in the wilderness. What happened? They got out of, they were liberated as from slaves in Egypt, now in the wilderness, waiting to go into the promised land. And God was telling Moses, tell my people this. Tell them that I'm not, that I am the creator and I am the one who covenants with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. And God wants us to know that too. That's why we see this whole picture unveil for us in beautiful poetry talking about actual historical events of what God has done. That's why Paul would write this, that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. See, this is the God who created everything, who now invites us in to the story. He's the subject of everything. We are the object of his love. So is, is God the subject of your life? Is he the one who is and was and ever shall be to you? When you think about just this first story of creation, God has now just reminds us. He says, who, who am I? You're the God who is the subject of everything. Who are you? I'm the object of your love. I'm your child. I've been brought into your love through the person and the work of Christ. And so when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you go, my goodness, I lost more hair. Like, what did I do? And, or whatever else you say when you look in the mirror. Remind yourself that you are the object of God's love. And he is the subject of your life. When you're about to have that difficult conversation in which could move you to, toward anger or revenge or just pointing out someone's flaws, remember, why are you here? To make God the subject of everything I'm about. When you drive up into that business that God used you to build and it's very successful and you go, why am I here? The answer is not to, to get more money and to make more, more things. It's, it's got to be to make God greater. We, we were created to be in relationship with this creator, powerful God. So when you teach a class or when you treat a patient or when you greet someone in a reception area, why are you there? You're there to make God the subject of everything about you because we get to receive the love of God because he's our creator. Okay, so remember, God's the subject of everything. And then let's look at the second point in this, in this account of creation. It's that God brings everything into existence by his word. Um, throughout this story in Genesis 1, you're going to see God said, and there's no hesitation, and there was. Or God said, and it was so. 
There was no hesitation there. And God is calling out into nothing and nothing becomes something, right? That's he borrowed. We have to asa. We always have to have something to make something else. And my goodness, hasn't God worked through humanity to bring about so much progress, especially in the past hundred years? I mean, more so than all thousands of years before us. God is is enlightening minds to discover and explore and create. But remember, his word called out to nothing, and it became something. We really believe this about who God is, that his word, his word is powerful and living and active. The writer of Hebrews, who has written to Jewish believers who knew this history of how God created things, it says that by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of what, uh, out of things that are visible. And, and as I look at this, so many times I've, I've read this passage and I've said, by, by faith we understand that the universe was created by God. But really, look at that, what it says there. It was created by the word of God. So when God speaks and nothing listens to become something, then Israel and all the church now listen Listen to when God speaks. And look at what else is speaking right now. It says in Psalm 148, Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Again, God saying it and it becoming. And, and so if you're Moses and you're shepherding uh, millions of people who've just been rescued by God out of Egypt, what, what do you want to train them on? You want to train them on the word, the word of God. And as the word was given to them, they were to listen to the word just as all of creation listened to the word of God and became by his command. And then God said, let us make man in our own image. His word, he spoke it, and God created. He borrowed man from the dust of the earth. And then God ultimately gave us his word made flesh. The word that was promised throughout the New Old Testament was made, was made, was shouted from the rooftops when Christ came. When it talks about Christ in the beginning, there it was. If you were Jewish and you read this, you went right back to Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. So if, if every came, everything comes into existence by the Word of God, then we too, we too come to life and live by his word. Do you realize that? If everything came into existence by the word of God, then we also are to respond to God's word in our life and live by his word in our lives. So let me just ask you right now, what's your relationship with God's word? See, ultimately, if you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to love him with your first and your best, and he's going to be the subject of your life, you can't trust me 
to do the heavy lifting of the scriptures for you, okay? This is meant to be a daily bread, okay? Um, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and Satan said, hey, if you're the son of God, and he knew Jesus was hungry because he fasted for 40 days, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said to him, oh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He knew that our greatest need is spiritual life. He knew that the word of God gives us life and the word made flesh who lived and died for us gives us life. He knew that the word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. He knew that we are to be people of the word who, who listen to the word of God, who, who understand the word of God and who live by the word of God. If you want to read a chapter on the Word of God, read Psalm 119. And, and don't get angry with me because it's the longest chapter of the Bible, okay? But it's about the Word of God. It's about the Word of God. You just can't, you cannot read that without seeing the value of the Word of God in our lives. Verse 25, though, of that chapter says this. My soul clings to the dust. What did God form out of dust? He formed us, right? And what posture is this person writing in? Are they standing in front of a group of people proclaiming it? Or they're on the ground, they're face down. My soul, it's a, it's a figurative language for I'm humiliated here. And it's, it's desperate. Give me life according to your word. See, that whenever you get into the Bible, maybe that's a really great place to start. Is before you open up the Bible and read it, is just say, God, give me life in your word. Give me life. And then once you read it and you, you understand it, then, and you know what God is calling you to do or to be or to say or to think, then say, God, give me life according to your word. Not just that I know it, but that I apply it in my life. See, again, God brings everything into existence by his word. We come to life and we live by his word. I don't know where you are in relationship to God's word, but this, this has to be something in our lives that we feast on. We don't just dabble in it, but we see it as giving life. We don't go and play Bible horoscope where we open it up, whatever God's going to show me to do today. There it is. There's that red. I talked to a guy one time in my office and he was not happy in his marriage. And he said, Joe, I opened up the Bible. I just was saying, God, tell me. And I opened it up and I read the word, get out. <laughs> and I said, you know what? You can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. And we can. And we do. And that's why it has to be guided by the word of the spirit of God. Because it's the spirit of God with the word of God in the people <laughs> Of God, we have to be hearts have hearts that are not hardened or necks that are stiff, but lives that are open to listening to what God would say to us and then following Him. That's where we get life from. And in the beginning, God's word spoke, and everything came into existence. Now, God word, God's word still speaks. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces our lives. We've got to let it do its work in us. 
Okay, so God is the subject of everything, and everything came into existence by his word. And here's the last thing I want you to remember when we look at this, and that's God takes pleasure in all he makes. And when I talk to Christians today, and I ask them this simple question, if you were to picture the face of God when he looks at you, what would you tell me that looks like? And I can't, I just have a majority of people that I talk to say, I see a frown. I see disappointment. And, and through Christ, we're guaranteed the smile of God because it's what Christ has done. But, but in the beginning, God took pleasure in all he made. All he made. Because he made things and he intended things to be without sin. And sin has broken us. And we're going to talk about this next week quite a bit on what sin has caused in our lives. We'll be looking at Genesis 3, but also what God has done in response to that. But as we look at this passage, God is saying after he creates, it was good. It was good. What's the Christian's view of creation? That it is good. And we are to steward it as God put man over it. We're to steward it in a way that reflects our creator. But when he created humanity, he says it was very good. And this very good picture even uh, opens up more in Genesis chapter 2. And what he's showing us as we read through this is, again, let us make man in our image. And so God created humanity, and he invites him into fellowship, in community, with the Trinity. And so as we look at that, we're invited. The creation story is an invitation by faith to enter back into that community of joy with your creator God, who's also formed a covenant with you. But let me just share with you as we look at this passage. We've got Adam, and he was created by God. And he took, in Genesis 2, God took the man, and he put him in this garden that he had created. And it says, he said that he, he called him to work it and keep it. Now think about what this environment would be like. This would be like a garden without weeds. Can I get an amen on that one? Yes, I hate pulling weeds. I hate pulling weeds. And with all the rain we got these past weeks, I mean, you're just pulling weeks, weeds. Things are growing far, the weeds grow far faster than the plants that we plant. It's just amazing to try to keep that up. But could you imagine an environment where wherever you put your hands to it, it got better. It improved. Do you see what God is doing? He said, Adam, look what I formed. Look what I created. Here, you, you work with me. And as man and God worked together, things got better. There was produce. There was fruit. There was harvest. Nothing got in. There weren't any mosquitoes to deal with or ticks to pull off. There was this environment where there was harmony. There was what the, what the um, uh, Jewish people would refer to as shalom, peace with God and man. And God took delight in that. Could you imagine working alongside God? Could you imagine walking with God? Him going, yeah, see that? I, I want to know how I created that? This is how I created it. And you just go, whoa. Okay? God could do that. And he had that relationship, that shalom, that loving relationship with God. And then 
It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So catch this. God says it was good with creation. It was very good with humanity, but it's not so good that you're alone. And Adam, as he named the animals, and the Lord gave him, brought him the animals to name, and whatever he named them, that was his name. I don't know why the animals were named that way, but Adam did. And, and he just called them. And again, God was calling and naming in Genesis 1. Adam is now a steward with God to call and name. God was taking pleasure. It's like our Heavenly Father was saying, Hey, son, name them. What are you going to do? You know what that means? That means God was in good relationship, entrusting man with the stewardship of creation, and man was working alongside of him. But man also said, male, female, male, female, male, female, male, the big question mark. And God says, it's not good that you're alone. So out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast, and he brought them, every bird, and he called them, and he asked them to name that. And Adam, there was no helper, right? And so God caused him to fall into a sleep and he took a rib from the man and made that rib into a woman and brought her to the man. Why did God make her out of a rib? Is that because God wants that person to come alongside? He didn't take it out of the foot or his mind to compete or to stomp on. We would be together. We would be together. And then the man said, this at last, is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then the scriptures then just narrate this. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's talk about this because uh, here as Adam sees what God has brought her, he breaks into delight. See, if you were to read Genesis 1, you would even see on this historical event that God was using poetry. The first day, the second day, and it was good, and it was very good. He's, it was a back and forth, this picture of how, uh, what God created and who he is. It's told almost in a verse, like in a verse-like area where you see the delight of God. And what, what do you see at the end of Genesis 2? Man delighting, man working with God, man taking pleasure in all that God has made. Man not worshiping creation, but celebrating God for it. And then it says, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is no shame and no guilt. I couldn't read this up until the time I was 14 or 15 without giggling, okay? Because that's one of my worst nightmares is that I would be naked in front of a large group of people. That's one of my worst nightmares as a pastor. And I've had it many a Saturday evenings that it's so real. I got up, I had my things, but I forgot my clothes. And I was running and hid myself amongst the curtains, okay? So, so these are real fears we have now. Why do we have these fears? Because we're afraid of people seeing us as we are. We're afraid of being exposed. And Adam and Eve, since the fall and since humanity came from that, have been covering ever since. But here, there was full acceptance there was full receiving of the woman by the man, unconditional 
but rejoicing, delighting. There wasn't, boy, I wish you would have made her a blonde. There was none of that. There was full acceptance and receiving. There was an understanding there were differences, and those differences were celebrated. They didn't divide them like many in our marriages have divided us. What, what were fireworks when we were dating were World War III when in marriage. Those differences can divide us when we thought they were so cute. And now we look at this. We look at what God has done, and we see that he took pleasure in all of his creation He takes pleasure in us and he invites us back in to enter his community of joy by faith. That's the picture that, and again, I know I'm speaking from 40,000 feet up as I look at Genesis 1 and 2. And there's a lot of scholars who've picked through it in a longer time than I've given you here. But I wanted you never to forget that God is the subject of everything. Everything came into existence by the word of God and that God takes pleasure in all that he makes. When you think about that environment of the garden, I want you to just think with me real quick and use your imagination. When you think about the life that God created in the garden, what does it make you long for? Some of us can look at this situationally and we can just go, wow, I've just been dumped out of this relationship or I've just been canned at my job. I just wish I see a life where there's all, you know, I have a very good job and a very good income. And that's your picture of a life without sin in a garden. Others of you go, boy, I just long for peace in relationships. I, I long for a restored body if you've just received a diagnosis that is not positive. And you, you look around us and you look at this world, you look within. What are you most longing for? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to share this with me. Um, we have, we'd like you to text in uh, your answers to this because I'm going to use them as I develop some themes to talk about in next week's message. And you'll help me prepare for this message. So if you text creation, that word, to this number, 785-367-2100, and you just let us know, let me know, what are you looking forward to? It's going to ask you that same question again. And, and I'm actually asking you to take out your phones and do this so that we can put this together, and I'll share the answers with you next week in our messages and just share that with you because here's the deal. God is preparing for us another garden, that when he creates a new heaven and a new earth, if you read Revelation 20 and 21, you will see that new environment. It's a new garden, and the new garden is going to be even better than the first garden. And that longing, that longing is, is a good thing this side. The early church longed for that future time when everything would be restored and there would be that shalom again with God and humanity and with creation and we look forward to that and what I want to do with these answers is I want whatever you give me there I'm going to craft into our message for next week and to talk about how we all still long for that and only one person can bring that back his name is Jesus And we're going to talk about the longings that we have that sin has corrupted, 
that we ultimately can turn to him and allow him to save us. And we're, we realize and we walk in that newness of life that we have in Christ. All right, well, we're going to celebrate and delight in the work of God for us in Christ right now. And I'm going to invite you to turn with me, uh, actually, and, and grab your, your elements that you have, whether you're here or at home. Gather those elements together and just hold them in your hand right now. We'll take them together as a family after this song. But one of the things we do and one of the reasons we play a song before this is to set our minds on the reality of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That we would make him the subject of everything in our lives. And we would rest in his work for us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and lived for us and died for us and rose again for us. So I'm going to invite you to hold on to these elements until we get done with this song and then we'll take them together.